From their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. And welcome to the Boomer and the Babe Show. It's Monday, November 19th, 2012, and we are broadcasting from our studios in Sun City, Arizona. We moved out of our studios in Youngtown, and we're now in Sun City. And this is Pete Peters, and with me is... Deborah Brown. Look at this. Deborah Brown <laughs> actually walked in the door last minute, and here she is. She's going to be on the broadcast with me. For those regular listeners, regular listeners, uh, you know that Deborah has been busy with all the other aspects of what we do, and it's nice to have her on the broadcast today. We invite you also to listen uh, to all of our other shows archived at blogtalkradio.com slash boomer and babe and see everything that's there and everything else uh, that we're involved in is at boomerandthebabe.com including our, including our publishing aspects and uh, and so on and so forth. So uh, that's, uh, that's nice that uh, you're going to be able to do that for us if you would. Sign up uh, for our email list and you will be receiving our uh, you'll be seeing our newsletter, Boomer Experience Speaks, every four to six weeks as we publish those. And uh, with that, I want to make sure that we welcome our guest, Ms. Celeste. I'm sorry, I mispronounced it. Celeste Mergens, is that correct? Celeste, uh, is that correctly? Exactly. Nice Very to good. talk with you both. Nice to talk to you as well. Celeste is the founder, I believe. It's uh, You are the founder. I think I have Yes, that, right? yes. Uh, I'm actually uh, the really good listener who paid attention and got to play with millions of people everywhere as a result. But, yes, they call it the founder, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, she's the founder of an, uh, an organization called Day- Days for Girls International. Uh, it's a feminine hygiene program, and uh, we're going to be talking to her about that. Celeste, welcome to the show, first of all. And secondly, uh, give us a little bit of a background, if you would. Deborah would ask you for... uh, I usually ask for what I call your two-minute movie. And what I mean by that is your life, laser beam style, as far back as you'd like to go, coming forward to today, talking with us on the show. Oh, thank you. Well, that's going to be interesting. I, I guess I should start with I'm the lucky mother of six amazing children and a remarkable husband who make it possible for me to do what I'm doing by supporting it in big ways. It takes a lot of time out of their lives for me to do this. And four years ago, November 1st, we were actually three weeks before that, I was headed to Kenya. I had been um, going regularly and I'd been helping an orphanage there. And the I don't know if you remember, but in 2008, those Horrible riots happened after the first elections in Kenya, and as a result, the orphanage that I'd been helping as part of other things I was doing swelled from 400 individuals, way too big, to thrice that, so just an enormous um, amount of children in need, and we were returning. It was 2.30 in the morning. I was sound asleep, and I woke up with the strangest thought going through my head. But it was an alarming one, and the question was, have you asked what the girls are doing for feminine hygiene? And it had not occurred to me to ask that even once. I was worried about how much food they had and did they have their test exam fees so they could move on in their education. And never occurred to me because it's so readily available here and we don't talk about it. It just didn't occur to me to ask that question. But when I had that go through my head, I ran to my desk in the middle of the night and emailed right then. And um, it is, of course, daytime in Kenya at that time. But I didn't expect an immediate response because they don't have – access to computers everywhere like we do. So, however, I I did get an immediate response, and the answer was simply nothing. They wait in their rooms. I was so stunned by that that I kind of sat there for a minute, unable to respond, trying to picture how you do that in a room that you share with 50 other individuals um, where bunk beds are stacked end-to-end with other bunk beds and you're sharing a bunk with uh, three other individuals. How do you wait in your room? And it turned out that they would sit on a piece of cardboard. We worked really hard to bring them sustainable hygiene, um, or first just hygiene. We found a nonprofit that sold it at a reduced rate, but it turned out there were 500 girls waiting for their needs to be met. And uh, even at nonprofit rates, that was $200 for disposable items for them. And I knew that if I spent, spent them, even if I could get someone to donate that, 
200 a month, that they would probably use it for food because they were already always in lack of food or need of food. And it turns out that that's true worldwide, that this is an issue where that decision has to be made for girls and women worldwide. And, of course, they're going to vote for their family having food, right? So right. then we got there. We brainstormed about what we could do. We took, uh, we found a pattern, and we made washable uh, feminine hygiene. Um, we worked for three weeks. Volunteers worked, men and women, until their fingertips bled in three of them, the case of three of them, and we brought them with us. And you should see, in fact, if they go to our website, the very first picture that pops up at the top is those girls, and you can see in their faces how happy they were. And it was just so joyful. My, I, it, it was just one of those moments you never, ever forget. But what happened next is what brought the birth of Days for Girls in my heart. Um, a few of them, and this is sensitive, but a few of them came to the front and they hugged me. And they said, and it's actually the girls um, that you see, they said, thank you so much because before you came, we had to let our director use us if we wanted to not wait in our rooms if we wanted to go to class. Now, there were lots of girls behind them. It was 250 at a time, so there were lots of girls behind them. So I had to let that pass, and I was just praying that it wasn't what I thought it meant, that they didn't mean what I thought they meant. But it turns out it was, that they were being sexually exploited. And it turned out, you should have seen me. I ran around like a fiend for three months on the Internet trying to tag people and organizations to help me fight this man, corrupt man, um, and it turned out they were slow to respond because this, too, is a worldwide issue that's very commonplace for girls to have to um, make a choice. And that was the moment Days for Girls was born. And I am so grateful that they came because it has been remarkable. Today, we have reached 29 nations on five continents and grown. And we, serve, we have served over 60,000 women, and it's all grassroots and all individuals doing what they can. So it's been a phenomenal journey. Wow, that sounds like you have been a godsend to so many people. It's amazing. And oh, thanks. Such a, such a natural function that is part of everyday life, and, you know, it's just what we, you know, that, that is what brings life, you know, that, that whole um, part of a girl's or a woman's um, monthly cycle. And... Exactly. No periods, no people, right? That's right. That's right. And and what's amazing to me, though, and I almost, I hope this doesn't sound contrarian for me to Mm -hmm. say this right off the go, Mm -hmm. but it seems like the solution should have been simpler for the people themselves to figure out a, a way to have something that they could wash, you know, a rag or something like that. Why wasn't that that way? So here's my experience. Um, One, we kind of can't imagine being in a place where you have one dress and can't even afford to have, frankly, underclothing, and you don't have extra quote-unquote rags. And I, we have on our, in our Flickr, um, photos of rags that are used, and they look like cheesecloth. They're so worn, and they do have access to them sometimes, but they aren't effective, and you can't count on them. And if you're sitting in a classroom. Um, you're you're likely to have a really embarrassing moment. And so they often skip school during those times, which adds up to three months of missed school year. Mm-hmm. And you cannot compete. Stay in that classroom if you're missing that kind of education. You have to be brighter than bright to pull that off. And so they do use alternatives. They will sit on cardboard, mud. Um, they use leaves, bark, stones. Um, corn cobs, corn husks, mattress stuffing, cement bags, and the list goes on. But the consequences for that are health issues. So the design that we have today does not look like the first ones. If you saw the first ones, you would be embarrassed for us because they're <laughs> very primitive as we have a policy. You have to be with us six months before you can see the first ones. But, <laughs> but, the, but today they've been informed by the guidance of input from thousands of women worldwide. So they are phenomenally uh, responsive to local needs. For instance, it's taboo to have things out that are menstrual related and many of these places completely taboo to speak of it, to have something out. And so our liners look like a washcloth. You can dry them. 
outside and um, and so these are moisture barrier have a moisture barrier they won't leak through and uh, soil girls uniform they're comfortable and um, those kind of resources aren't necessarily readily available to them and it's been a delight to do exactly what you're saying which is work with them in nation after nation we're doing a pilot program um, in Africa right now that we're hoping that by the end of this next year we'll scale worldwide um, which is all about that, empowering local women to be ambassadors of women's health and to teach others how to make their own quality kits that last about three months, uh, three years, excuse me, three years. So, so it's a um, kind of a micro-franchise opportunity for women while they speak up and empower their communities. I, I have to tell you that I am taking notes as fast as I can because that's part of my style, for one thing, but also because it's very um, compelling information for me because I have been, um, I'm not active right now, but I was a seroptimist for over 20 years. I and, love seroptimist. Uh, yes. And for the listeners who are not familiar with seroptimist, it is a worldwide organization for women and girls, um, advancing the status of women and girls and helping women in local communities and throughout the world to have a better life, more opportunity. And certainly something like this, which has so much to do with not only public health issues and safety, but also self-esteem and, you know, just being able, like you said, being able to compete at school, not having to stay home for three months out of a school year. That's a huge thing that, that you're doing for these girls and women. Thank you. Isn't that amazing, Deborah? Doesn't that amaze you that such a, like you said, something that should be a given could be such a change maker. I, I have been doing this for four years, and it still amazes me. Well, it's it's also what you said about the taboo of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I ever saw anyone walk with a, um, a a tampon visible in her hand to go from wherever she was sitting at her desk through a um, an office and go to the bathroom, I'm assuming. And I remember my horror at that. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe you just did that, you know. Um, And that was probably 30 years ago. So she was a very, what I would call, bohemian, outward-thinking, you know, pretty pretty wild child girl. (laughs) And, you know, I, I worked with her for a long time, and I had the utmost respect for her, but I always thought that was just the oddest thing. The next time I felt myself get that same way was all the commercials that are on TV now about all the various products and who, which one can do what and yada, yada, yada. And I think the more that has been uh, made so obvious on, t- on our TV, it makes it like not such a taboo subject for us. But in other countries, it certainly would be. Oh, it's huge. And I would argue even here a little bit, wouldn't you? Oh, like yeah. you're saying, I think there's a little of that left still. Well, I, yeah, I think there's um, there's a, a modesty and uh, appropriateness that comes into play, and you know where do you draw the line? You know where where does that line get drawn? What you don't where you don't draw that line is making a child um, have no life during her period. That's not right. Uh, you know <laughs> that I know. Right, and and they truly, oh, it, it's horrible the consequences and. In one area, we had only one. There were they have a hut that they stay in just outside the village when they're on their period, and it is unguarded. And of course, if that's the one place menstruation is happening in the soil, it attracts wild animals. So it's accepted that once in a while they're going to lose one of their village members um, to a wild animal coming during the night. Oh and I. I'm grateful that's the only place we've heard that. But I can tell you that we the consequences are so tremendous. Because if you can't, and the education piece, piece I'm so glad you pointed out, Deborah, because here's what happens. Um, you, let me give you an example. In Malawi, a chief forbade them to pass out their Days for Girls kits that, you know, just forbade it. So, so women stood at the door of, or came back and forth standing and, and asking over and over, and finally he acquiesced and said, okay, um, this will be okay. And they ended up quickly dispensing them because he said, 
if you do this, we will bring, there will be a drought in our village and we will no longer have water. So they were very, very careful to not talk while they passed these out. And of course, then they didn't know how to use them or didn't benefit from the education proportion, um, component of what we do and have the health dialogue and the uh, safety dialogue and the self-defense dialogue. And worse, because their culture is very sharing, very about sharing what they have. They passed out the pieces till it was no longer a kit, but individual little pieces that didn't make sense, right? Right. So, But what was amazing to me and what made me pause to consider is, so if you believe that if you talk about this, a drought will happen, then what happens to women when a drought happens? Are they looking for who did this, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, And in Zimbabwe, when we taught uh, ambassadors of women's health, that's what, when we go somewhere ourselves, we often syndicates through other nonprofits and service groups. So if your listeners are part of them, they're welcome to contact us and, and request kits to go with them um, and request our handbook for how to uh, distribute them. Uh, but when we go ourselves, our teams teach ambassadors of women's health to go and teach others and to teach how to make kits. So we were in Zimbabwe and there were 50 being instructed how to uh, make these kits. Well, it's taboo pretty much to talk about this. So it was uncomfortable to even talk about this. And and I when we got to the part about every woman in the world shares this, we are without periods, there be no people. This is not something to be ashamed of. And here's what's happening in your body and what's really happening and how it's happening. And there was an audible sigh that stretched. I mean, you could see it go through the room. And these are women age 20 to age 70, I'd say, and and then they had questions. Their hands were flying up, and I am not exaggerating. For over two hours, we fielded questions, and um, some of them were tough questions. But we answer any question they ask that we can. And um, I, it's fascinating to me that we take for granted that we have this knowledge. In uh, most of us have it, and. Yet, in a place that you don't, you end up believing that you're lesser than. You end up believing, falling for myths, and and you end up falling for a correlation that I don't think is accidental. Um, you end up believing that you're unclean and that you are lesser than, and, and frequently they have less property rights because I believe, in part, this issue. Well, it occurs to me also that men in these societies have to be the ones who kind of bless forward thinking, you know, new ways of doing things. And it's interesting because it should be the women who would be in charge of this. But like you were saying, if if the chief in the in the tribe or whatever says, no, nope, this is not um this is not gonna work here, not not gonna happen um, or you know the leader in in a community says nope we're not going to do that that's not how we've always done it and it's a man it's over um, even uh, I remember one time listening to a speech by a woman who had climbed Mount Everest and some other amazing things and she was talking about the the first female Sherpas had to have the buy-in from the men for her for the women to be able to be Sherpas and to go up the mountains and, and guide and so forth. And that's not the only uh, thing that occurs to me as times when you really have to get the men to say, yes, this is, a por- this is an important thing that we must change for the safety, health, and whatever of our women. And sometimes that's just a very hard bridge to, to cross. It's true. And I think that's one of the things I'm most grateful for is we have a whole lot of men that we call man up for girls. And um, and talk about this issue and stand up for this issue. Frankly, worldwide, men that are leaders as part of our organization. We had two men in Zimbabwe train with this program, um, and I'm just grateful because it's it makes this discussion a little more confrontable to have something tangible that's really needed, that's accessible and sustainable, and um, and like I said, it's a worldwide issue. It's happening here in the U.S. We've reached um, the. Um, we've been reached out from New Orleans, the Orleans province, where Katrina hit. We right now have 3,200 girls waiting for kids, and we're um, coordinating that even as we speak. 
um, we, I was recently in Honduras, and a woman on the beach there that was doing hair braiding, you know how they do the hair right. braiding with the little beads? Um, I asked her about this um, for her direct community, and she stopped, and she said, oh, I need this. She explained that she could not work, that she had to work every day to feed her children, but she could not work if she was on her period, and this would be huge for her. And she gestured with one arm down the beach, she said, for all of us. So it truly, um, truly is something worldwide. And, and in fact, while we were there and talking to our driver, our driver, who is a man, was equally passionate about this. So don't you think, I don't think this benefits everyone, the whole, a family, a community, a nation. And I think there are a lot of amazing men in every culture but when you get stuck in a trap and it's taboo to talk about, then, then the misgivings continue. And I love that we can change that. We can change this. I do, too. I do, too. Uh, Celeste, in, in, this, in this country, obviously the mothers uh, make sure that their daughters understand the situation with regard to menstruation. They understand the, the the feminine hygiene process and so on and so forth, and that that just basically goes without saying for the most part. I'm assuming, and here again, you know what happens when you consume. Uh, but uh, why has it not been the case in these uh, countries that you visit that that happens, or is it the case where the mothers themselves have not known any better, and this is the only life they're know they've known, so this is what they're passing on to their daughters? Uh, how how is that all manifesting itself uh, with regard to the the big picture? Good question. So they if imagine a place where there's very little water, there's very little. Um, you don't have a lot of you don't have excess period uh they teach them to use what they have grass leaves bark um they teach them to use what they can but it, you can imagine how ineffective that is so you can't stay in the classroom and being at work is a iffy thing at best so you end up being isolated um and like i said the rags that they can utilize for that are just really in in some places they have access to quality rags uh, India comes to mind. However, again, not great quality. Um, and as far as the discussions that one would assume they would have for this important knowledge, um, honestly, I know this sounds impossible, but it's taboo to talk about, even to your daughter, even to your aunt. Um, uh, it's, it's it's a tremendous gap that's happening because of, of shame and um, silence. We and the effects are so huge. So I have met so many amazing men and women worldwide, and I promise you it is not because they are less than or ignorant or backwards. It is because of a tradition, a really strong tradition, that they were threatened with. And unless someone tells you otherwise, for instance, we were in Kenya, we were doing this training, and we were ta training leaders, and frequently they are young women as well, and it's beautiful 16-year-old girl comes forward and says to one of our team, oh, thank you so much, because before you came, I thought I had HIV. And because of the stigma of HIV, she didn't ask anyone about it. She just suffered in silence that this, this bleeding was a sign that she ha would eventually have AIDS. Um, that's not because she's ignorant or backwards. That's because of a tradition of silence that that all of us have let happen, nonprofits, for instance, me. I didn't ask this question. I was working there for a year and a half in Kenya and never even asked this question because it never occurred to me. So we're bringing all this help, but we don't ask the question and no one's going to bring it up. And so it just perpetuates. And, and that's how this continues in the world. So is it safe to say then when we settled, when we in this country or this country sends aid packages to these underserved, underprivileged nations, uh, people that are uh, uh, third world and so on and so forth, that one of the things that's not in those packages is feminine hygiene products? It is very safe to say that that has been true for a long time. It has been few and far between the organizations that have addressed address that, but I'm very happy to report that it's rising daily 
um, that this issue is becoming more and more prevalent. In fact, in part because of books like Half the Sky that was so popular and mentioned this issue. And frankly, when we started this, we there had been three organizations doing washable feminine hygiene. It went down to just us for a while. Um, and now I'm happy to report there are dozens and dozens um, seen to this issue. And now the UN is addressing it in a big way. And uh, World Health Organization, UNICEF, USAID, all of them are starting to step up. And there are millions of women facing this, and together we can change that. It will just take all of us. And we believe we can end this problem by the year 2022. We'll just have to work together. Now, what was the name of that book you mentioned? It's called Half the Sky. Half the Sky, okay. And, okay. and the premise is a Chinese proverb that women are half the sky. Right. Well, let's go back to tradition and tradition of silence for a second, because if through time every woman, whenever she was having her period, had to you know, go to the hut and wait it out, um, the woman whose daughter is not going to do that has thoughts in her mind called, huh, I wonder if there's going to be any problem with that. I, you know, I did it, my mother did it, my mother's mother did it, and now she's not going to do it. What's that going to, you know, how's that going to affect her? Even though it's not logical to us, it is logical to her. Same thing with female genital mutilation. Absolutely. You know, the, the mothers and the aunts um, who caused that to happen to their young girls, even though we know that it's, it's not the right thing to do for any number of reasons, um, they still do it, and they frankly do it in this country as well because they don't want the stigma of the of the girl not having it done. See what I'm saying? So there's this, yeah. this loop of information and um, uh, working through all those layers of things that people think. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? it? And, you know, um, we actually have found results with what we do in regards to female genital mutilation. Um, and so I have, I have met cutters. And I have to tell you, we were part of a health clinic opening. And at that opening, there was a woman in the crowd whose face just glowed. You know those people that have such a genuine smile in their eyes and their face that, you, that you're just drawn to them. It just oh, yeah. seem like one of those, you know, the type I'm talking about. And so imagine we had been invited to talk about female genital mutilation and which is also called female circumcision in some places, but it's quite severe. It has different kinds of surgical procedures, but it's it's horrible what happens to these women and the consequences they pay. And uh, we were we asked to speak. To, we were asked to speak to them about it. And I thought, oh great, a couple of white women from the West are going to come in and fix it. Like no one else has ever tried that or spent millions trying to change this. <laughs> Good luck to us. But um, we pondered on it, and when we got there, um, we had asked for the cutters to join us so we could talk to not only the girls about this is a choice you can you can change. You don't have to make this choice when we gave them the kits, but also to speak with the cutters directly. I expected Kesey, Kenya, that's where we were, is probably the size of a large county or even medium-sized county. So I expected, I know this is ignorant, but I honestly thought maybe a dozen and into the room comes between 25 and 40 women. And wouldn't you know that that shiny-faced woman was in the crowd? And I was just stunned by that because, of course, we think of these villainous women that are out to harm girls, right? And it was such an interesting conversation because we at Days for Girls are determined to build bridges and discussions and dialogues and empower and not judge or jump to conclusions and we of course had studied it ahead so we talked to them about what the first part of the rite of passage is and and that it's about uh, gathering together and having a having a uh, discussion with the elder women about being a girl and being a woman and being a mother and being a wife and i said you know what i wish we had more of that in our nation we we could use more of that bravo so tell me about what happens after the rite and they said well we gather and have a potluck, everybody, well, they bring food, and and we have gifts for the girls. I said, I love that, too. And let's talk about this part in the middle. And all of a sudden, their arms fold. Mm. Mm-hmm. And well, I you, said, you know, Celeste, th- those 
most cutters are ensuring that the girl is marriageable. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you're they already are, off and they're on respected. the wrong foot, you know? Yeah. They are. And yeah. you know they chose by the end. We talked about women are beautiful and powerful naturally and that they could choose and make a new choice and cut out the cut. We talked about their great Kenyan leaders, um, Wangari Maasai and others at the time, and that they could make a new choice. And, you know, they celebrated, and they, two days later, uh, six of their head cutters, one of which was the shiny-faced girl um, or woman, um, came forward and said they were laying down their knives, that it had cost their their daughters their lives when their husbands went to others because they couldn't be, quote, a real wife. I... I marvel that if we have real dialogues and don't cast aspersion at each other, but that that we can change things. Women and men are amazing, and we just need to have dialogues that haven't happened before. And our program, thankfully, so such a simple thing, opens the doors to those communications. That's right. And there are so many things that happen because of superstition and... Um, tradition like we've been talking about that until you start to peel back the curtain a little bit and see what's going on in a community that you're helping in other words you're there maybe helping them figure out some kind of micro business you know and Mm -hmm. you're you're all happy because they figured out how to create something that is saleable on ebay you know and you've given them a kindle and they're all just doing great and then you find out that when they go home, you know, for one-third of their life until they stop having their period, um, they're in trouble. And good for you for figuring out what to do. That's what I say. Good for you and your people. Oh, thank you. They're amazing. Do you know that we have 27 chapters all over the world? That's awesome. UK, Australia, thank you for that. It's actually a delight, and I'm really so privileged to be part of it. That's fantastic. So... I'm assuming that the reason that, um, by the way, that they don't just get disposables from um, in these kits is because once that's gone, you have to replenish it, obviously, and better to have that thing that lasts three years. Is that right? I mean, you just have to keep supplying. Absolutely. You're right, because if you make uh, $8 a month and – a disposable product is, let's say, it's a really um, inexpensive one that doesn't work very well and adhesive doesn't work well, but, but at least you have access to it. That's going to be at least 2 to $3, right? Um, is that even feasible? It's just not feasible. And so it's not that they're ignorant as to what that need is. It's just not a feasible thing. And also, there is no place to throw them away. There is no trash service that comes to the curb. So what happens is piles happen and they get stuck in chinks of fences and they fill the latrines and 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 then there's further really further stigma that happens against women. Look what you did. And again it's just such a lose lose. So there are companies or organizations that are working on uh biodegradable ones. There are some out there and we by the way work with and support every organization working on this. But we have chosen to go with something they can count on month after month. Um, do you want to describe what's in a kit? Sure. So they are they there are two shields, which are the moisture barrier part, and they look like wings that go wrap around the one pair of underwear that we provide, hoping they have others or can gain access to others. And they have cuffs at the end so that a Three-fold, trifold liner, so picture a small washcloth of flannel, can be folded in three and tucked in there. And if it's a day that needs a little more absorption, they can put more than one because we provide eight liners and a washcloth and a little bar of soap. Um, And we also, they get two Ziploc baggies, the freezer gallon size. And that is, in actuality, the world's most effective tiny washing machine because it makes it possible through the techniques that we teach them to use very little water to wash them and to avoid some of the taboos that are in some parts of the world. Um, and all of that is contained in a, in a cloth drawstring bag so that it, she has privacy carrying it to and from school and to and from the latrine. My goodness. This is just 
my mind is spinning now. What about? Um, did you say that they're that you're also teaching women how to make these kits in in country so that they don't have to be supplied? That maybe there can be a cottage industry or something that's making these kits. Absolutely, we are, and that is a whole wonderful um, part of it, the adventure too. And we're really pleased to announce that Rotary International has announced that Days for Girls will be one of their partners in water and sanitation programs. So, and, and, and in regards to this cottage industry portion of what we do. So it's, we have both arms happening, volunteers all over the world making them and distributing them through their own local nonprofits going to places where it's needed, and then the other arm of it, which is empowering local communities to meet local needs through cottage industry and women's ambassadors of women's health. Now, that sounds like the perfect win-win all the way around because organizations like Rotary and Seroptimist are certainly looking for worthy projects that support the, you know, the idea of helping women and girls around the world. Um, then there are companies that like to have some kind of social purpose um, that they identify, and this sounds like something that a whole group of people in a company, large or small, could get behind and say, you know what, this is the one that we want to put our uh, uh, efforts toward. And I know that um, there are big companies that, that support this kind of thing. Are you having any luck with those? We're still looking for more partners. We have a lot of incredible nonprofit partners and um, a lot of amazing volunteers, and we're looking for corporate partners. So pass the word, okay? <laughs> How, how Celeste? How do you go about looking for them? I mean, is I don't by the very nature of of the subject of the topic. Right. Uh, I I would imagine that it would be really tough for news media and so on. I'm talking about big corporate news media uh, airwaves uh, that we're used to seeing NBC, CBS, MSNBC, whatever they might be. It would mm-hmm. be. It would be really tough for them to get involved in this and explain it and and look for help you look for those partners through their contacts because just by the nature of what it is we're talking about. It's true, isn't it? Um, because it isn't necessarily the most uh, what public thing that we enjoy talking about. So we work really hard to make this. Um, a more cool subject to talk about because certainly it is cool how huge the effects are. Imagine what we can do if we reach all these women. Imagine the change that will happen. But you're spot on. It is um, the ones that step up to be by us are truly phenomenal organizations, and um, we're looking forward to seeing who who's cool enough to step up and walk with us because well, I, it isn't easy. Yeah, well, I've I've seen some uh, organizations that'll get involved in uh, tr- trying to uh, end uh, the tra- trafficking as, as a uh, as a category, but they don't get into it, to my knowledge, with regard to this particular way of helping young women and girls is also a way of. Uh, Ending trafficking. There's no, there's no nexus there. It's Uh, true, and and it, and yet it's it is so direct. The impact is so direct, Pete. And I, um, you're right. It's just not a, it's not easy to necessarily show that uh, for them. And and we're working on ways to make that more relevant. Which is why we're excited that Nike's Girl Effect program. I don't know if you've ever seen their viral video has invited us and as well as 71 other organizations to compete for 2013's Girl Effect Championship. So um, that would be kind of what you're talking about. It would be one of the big ones stepping forward. And I guess Nike's cool enough because they have stepped forward to invite us. But we have to compete for it. And what we get is if we win, one of the top six spots is $24,000, which is a whole lot of girls getting kits. And... Their help with PR and their publicity machine helping us for the year 2013, and that is priceless. And I bet they can help us to convey 
this in a way that more and more corporations and groups can step up to be by our side. There is, uh, I don't know how to say this except to say it. Does, mm-hmm. does, does Nike have, uh, who who, are, who judges this? Does Nike judge this? No, that's the great part. In fact, you and all of your listeners can help judge this. And the way do they, you do that is to go to our website, daysforgirls.org, um, D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-G-I-R-L-S.org, and on the front home page, there's an emblem that says, be a champion for girls, vote for DFG. And if you click on that, it will take you to the link where you can donate. They're doing it by donations, unique individual donations. In other words, Pete, you can't do 10 votes, and I do 10 votes, and Deborah does 10 votes, and that counts as 30. They really want to know who people are voting for to become one of their Girl Effect champions. So it's per donation of just $10 or more. And if they click on our homepage and click over, that counts as a vote. And we have, from the beginning, been in their top six. But to stay there, we have to have more votes until the end of, on 30th of November, and then we can all breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> so do you know where you are in the rankings now? Uh, this morning we were at fifth place, and we were yesterday at fourth place. So everybody's working fast and furious, but like we can all see, this is a really big deal. So we're grateful to be there and grateful for all the donations. And, of course, the donations, $10 is a kit for a girl. helps a girl stay in school for three years. So it goes to us, but it also counts as that all-important vote. And how much have uh, let, – let's assume for the sake of this discussion that you end up number seven. Uh, Don't say that. Oh, Don't I know. Take that I, back. I, 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 I'm, I'm saying it only from the standpoint you're still, you're still gaining the $10 donations. And, we are. We are. And, absolutely. And, and, and that's what, huge. And, and what, what do you anticipate that would amount to? Um, we're hoping that by the end it will be uh, between $7,500 and $10,000. So and we're, I think we're at 4,500 this morning that have been donated toward it, um, which is amazing. And that actually will finance the last pie. Oh, I just checked. It's 5,960. How cool is that? Uh, that's great. Aren't people amazing? Anyway, um, that will complete the pilot project in Kenya, in Zimbabwe, Uganda, and um, uh, and Kenya for us to then scale it worldwide, the microfinance and training piece of it. Um, you know how you have to make sure you've got all the kinks worked out before you pass it on worldwide. And we're hoping to do the pass it on worldwide in a bigger way, that component, um, beginning at the end of 2013. So this will help make that happen. So it's it's obviously the case then that uh, you are just in the infancy stages of what you're trying to do and any kind of help uh, would be wonderful. And if you could manage to get yourself six or better, uh, which already you said you're number five, uh, uh, that would be just almost like a godsend. Wouldn't it? Oh, it would be a miracle. It would be, oh, I try not to do cartwheels. Every time someone donates and they're by me, I, I want to hug them big and, jump around it's very not dignified not very dignifying for an international director but but you know what we are we're an organization that is grassroots no one on our staff we have no paid staff but we have three of us working full-time on this we have um, it's all volunteers all over the world and and I think that's why we've been able to accomplish so much so fast a lot of dedication and any donation literally changes lives and will make all the difference in the world. Well, you know, I'm sitting here thinking that of all the people listening to you today, I am probably, I would have to say, one of the most, I consider myself to know a lot about women and girls around the world. I really do. I mean, I've been watching this stuff. I I knew about trafficking 10 years ago, you know, before anybody else was talking about it. You know, I knew about microloans, blah, blah, blah. This is brand new to me today, that this is the problem that would keep a girl from going to school, that would keep a girl from having more confidence. You know, all of that, that stuff that you've been talking about, I am putting into the category for me of who knew. Who knew that, you know? Right. <laughs> how did I miss that, you know? Well, I, I, I don't think it's that I missed it. I just don't think that it is something that occurs to us because it's not like that here at all. Absolutely. Well, I not say at all. I'm sure it is that way in some communities because if a if a person does not have 
enough money to buy food and they are um, using a food bank as an example, maybe they have a similar problem. That's possible. They do. They do, Deborah. Yep. And we really, we hear about it a lot. It's not certainly as comprehensive and widespread as these other places, but it does happen here. Oh, I, I just, I'm just blown away. On your website, um, there is a wonderful um, yellow oval that has why this is such a good thing. And it's, well, the orange oval it says, "When girls win, we all win." And then the the yellow one says, "When she is part of your program, she has a ready monthly sanitary solution and new knowledge of her own worth. She is more likely to stay in school." She has more confidence. She has more health knowledge. She will speak up for herself and others. Her future income will be greater, and so will her country's GNP. She will contribute to her community. Her children and peers are more likely to do so as well. That is fantastic. Isn't it exciting? I'm so glad. I'm so glad we met, Deborah. Good thing you came through that door. Although, Pete, you're really man up, manning up for girls. I'm, I'm going to give you one of the man up for girls stickers. You're definitely in. He does. Thank you. He Thank does. You. Well, you know, here's the thing, and, I, and I've said this to other people. I've got, I've got an 89 year old mother who lives under the same roof as we do. I've got Deborah that lives under this uh, roof with me, of course, because we're uh, we've been together now for. I better get this right. Twenty-five years, and uh, and I've got, I've got a, <laughs> and I've got a thirty-five-year-old daughter and a three and a six-year-old granddaughter. I've got to be in favor of women. My even my dog is a female. Uh, <laughs> I, I I have got to be, be in favor of women. From if nothing else, in a selfish uh, self-preservation point of view. But I but I do know for fact that when when I was as a, as a single parent before. Deborah came into the picture, primarily the, the parent of my daughter, although her mother was very much involved in her life as well. There was one thing I always had to make sure of, and that is that she had whatever it was that she needed and that she got a fair shake as a young girl and then later as a, a young woman, and now she's on her own and she's holding her own, believe me. Uh, but the the point is it's important. It's very important because uh, they may, women as a group, they may be able to uh, help themselves, but they, by doing so, help the men also. And the sooner somebody realizes that and doesn't have to worry about walking around in a muscle shirt just to prove that they can uh, uh, bully themselves around like many men seem to do, uh, is the sooner that we're all going to be much further ahead in the game, I think. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. And we have we have statistics after statistics that shows us that when a woman is empowered, she turns whatever resources she has over to her family, her community, and those around her before even thinking about herself. Right or wrong, that's what she does worldwide. Okay. And and so that's why this is an issue that's relevant to all of us because like you Pete, we have sisters and mothers and daughters and and this affects all of us we are all connected and and so this is culturally relevant worldwide and and I'm just so grateful this conversation is happening because our goal is to reach every woman in the world by 2022 like we mentioned earlier and it's only going to be because people like you say hey this does matter to me this does affect me I think you're absolutely right. You are doing the absolute, um, you're doing what I would call God's work. And I am very happy that we had a chance to talk about it. And it's important. And, and you know, the, the fact that I realize now that it is happening here as well, you know, that there are going to be girls that, that just cannot get the supplies they need. And we really do need to pay attention. We need to pay attention everywhere. And so thank you so much for the work you're doing. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a wonderful thing to get to talk with you about it. Well, I'd like to give you uh, an opportunity to give what we call your shameless self-promotion. So go ahead and uh, let anybody and everybody that's listening know exactly how they can get hold of you and how they can participate. And then with that, we'll we'll close off the program for today, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll wish you good luck and Godspeed and everything that you're doing. So uh, go ahead and give us uh, give us your information. Thank you. 
Uh, you can find out more information about us at daysforgirls.org. And you can also follow us on Facebook at Days for Girls and watch all of the kids coming and going and, and all of the data that we can share with you. Um, we, also, we are also on Twitter, Days for Girls International, and our, we can be reached at info, info at daysforgirls.org, or you can call our office at 360-510-9388. And we're always happy to meet new team members and, and those that have ideas for helping reach more girls. Well, thank you very much, Celeste, for taking the time to be with us today. Good luck in your Nike Challenge. I hope that you do well with that. I hope that you certainly you. get into the top six and, and get yourself a quick 24000 for whatever it is that you're trying to put it towards, which I know will be nothing but good work mm-hmm. and, and good uh, good products for the ladies. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Pass the word. We can do this. Yes, you can. Yes, you <laughs> can. Go. Yes, we all can. Thanks, thanks again, Celeste. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Goodbye. Bye now. Bye now. And you've been listening to Ms. Celeste Mergens for Days for Girls International. Days for Girls International. She is the founder, and uh, we want to thank her and uh, anybody that was might be interested in helping out girls in the country and the world in general. Please take a look at daysforgirls.org. Daysforgirls.org. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope to have. Uh, uh, have you back listening again at their shows for the rest of the week. Some more good episodes coming up. So please uh, keep us in mind when you're looking to do something on the Internet and want to have some interesting topics to listen to. It's conversation to listen to. Uh, you can find it with the Boomer and the Babe Show and Arizona Boomer Radio. Thanks again for listening. Take care, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Bye now. where we bring interesting conversations to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter where we tweet as Boomer and Babe and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at boomerandthebabe.com. Email us at host at boomerandthebabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started. 